Good evening. I said I told the live wires this. I don't. There are not many of you here who were there yesterday. So you, but uh, growing up, we always had two Christmases. We had Christmas Eve with my grandma on my mom's side, and then Christmas Day with my grandma on my parent on my dad's side. And uh, that was just the way it was. You got two Christmases, and there were presents and everything at both. It was the same kind of food at both. It was a great time. And then when I got to be an adult and got married, well, things had to change a little bit, but we still, we did Christmas Eve with my parents, and we'd spend the night in Hope with my parents. Hope, Texas is a little suburb of Yoakum, Texas, by the way. There's, all there is there is a, a little bitty Baptist church and a little bitty Methodist church. There's nothing else. But uh, So we'd spend the night there, and we'd wake up in the morning and exchange gifts, and then we'd go see her mom and dad and... You know, it all changed a little bit when kids came along, but it was always the same. It was always that two, two Christmas thing. In fact, later on, my uncle, who was a pastor, we would spend Christmas Eve night at his church uh, in Kennedy, Texas. I, don't, I doubt many of you know where that is. Um, so all of that was great. And then in 2001, I, I came to a church that had a Christmas Eve service. And boy, I sure was upset to find out, oh my goodness, the whole two Christmas thing is going to have to end. Um, and and yet, I love it now. And here it is 18 years later, and I wouldn't have it any other way. We still have two Christmases. It's just not Christmas Eve with my parents. It's a day before or some other time, whenever we can work it out. But just being with my church family on Christmas Eve is just really special. And that's certainly been true here. I, I, I love being with y'all. I hope... If you're in town, and many of you will be, I hope you'll take time to come to at least one of our Christmas Eve services next week and uh, light some candles with us and sing some carols. It's going to be it's going to be short, Merle. It's going to be brief. Yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be special. So I, tonight we're going we're gonna to continue our tough questions, but this one's going to be a little Christmas-themed and probably not as tough as the others. Um, but it's about the virgin birth. So... You know the story, but you may not know the backstory. The prophecy about the virgin birth comes from Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the context there is there was a king of Judah at the time named Ahaz. Now Ahaz's father and grandfather had both been good kings as kings went in those days. They were both relatively moral, relatively upright. His grandson Hezekiah, Ahaz's grandson Hezekiah, would turn out to be perhaps Israel's or Judah's greatest king since David. But Ahaz wasn't that way. Ahaz was faithless. He was a man so given over to idol worship, he actually burned one of his own sons in a fire to the, to the false god Molech. Um, he just did not trust in Israel's God and he was not willing to do what God said. And so the day came when two nations formed a coalition and invaded Judah. And Ahaz, of course, was terrified because Judah, I mean, I'm not talking about Israel. I'm talking about just the southern kingdom, just little Judah. And they were tiny and they were defenseless, relatively defenseless, and their cities were falling. And so Ahaz wanted to to sell out his nation. He wanted to offer all the treasures in the temple, all the treasury he had to any nation that would come and defend him from these two countries, Syria and Israel, that were invading. And Isaiah the prophet went to him to say, don't do that. 
Save your money and trust in God. God will defend you. God will take care of this. God will send a deliverer to keep you safe from these two nations. In fact, he said, by the, and, and we think, we don't know this, but we, we imagine he was pointing at someone in the palace that day. Look, by the time this virgin is able to conceive and give birth and the child, child comes into the world and is able to eat and drink for himself, then by then those two nations will be long gone. And yet, like so many of the prophecies in the Old Testament, it had a dual fulfillment. He used the word virgin. And nobody back in those days understood that what Isaiah was prophesying was, was important for that day, but it also applied to something that would happen 700 years later. Now, just so you know, Ahaz didn't listen. He went ahead and gave all the money he had to Assyria, the nation far to the north, and that, of course, caused more problems than it solved. He didn't listen, and he paid the price. But it, may, it leads to the question, why was it so important for Isaiah back then to talk about a birth that would happen 700 years later? And why was it so important for this child in Bethlehem, the son of Mary, the, son of, the, the stepson, you might say, of Joseph, to be born of a virgin? Now, I'm not going to talk about whether the virgin birth is true or not. That's actually one of the more controversial doctrines. Uh, when you listen to uh, people debate the text of Scripture, they will say, well, how can you people believe in a virgin birth? I'm not going to touch on that because we've already talked about the reliability of Scripture in this series. We've already talked about how we can believe what the Word of God says. You can go back and read or listen to those if you want to review. And by the way, if you believe there is a God who's powerful enough to create a universe, don't you think it's very simple for him to create one more person in an extraordinary way? I mean, I'm not sure why this strains credulity so much. So we're not going to talk about defending the doctrine of the virgin birth. What we want to talk about is why. Why was Jesus born this way? And why is it so important that we hold on to this doctrine as followers of Jesus? So three reasons. Number one, it shows that Jesus knows our pain. The circumstances of Jesus' birth uh, demonstrate the kind of Savior he would be, that he would be one who identified with us completely. Some of y'all probably remember uh, about 15 years ago the series of billboards that came out. They were called the God billboards. They, had to, they were black billboards with white lettering, and they said clever little things like, come to my house before the game, or nice wedding, please invite me to the marriage. Uh, my favorite one said, don't make me come down there. These are all supposed to be from God. I don't know who put up the money. It had to, be, had to be thousands and thousands of dollars. I thought those were really clever, but that was my favorite. But the thing is, God did come down, and that's the story of Christmas. God did come down to this world, but not the way we would think. If you and I were writing a fictional account of a God who chose to become human for a while, it wouldn't go this way. So here's one way to look at it. If you were, let's say you worked in a refinery, or, or some kind of a plant, and you're down there doing hard blue-collar work, and all of a sudden you see your boss who sits in the office every day. Or let's say the boss's boss's boss, somebody you never see ever, somebody who, li who, who works in an office downtown. Suddenly he's there wearing steel-toed boots and coveralls and a hard hat and walking around, talking to the guys and inspecting gauges and, and just figuring things out. Now, do you think that because he has shown up and he's wearing the right suit that he understands what your life is like, that he knows what it is like to be you, that he completely identifies with you? Do you suddenly think, oh, well, he gets me. 
I'm never going to complain about another thing again. Well, of course not. He's just putting on a costume. In, in an hour or two, he's going to take all that back off and put back on his pinstripe suit and go back downtown, and, and he's going to forget all about you. It's the same when uh, we see celebrities or politicians who go and visit the troops, and inevitably somebody hands them a, some kind of military equipment, they put on the helmet or something else, and they pose for pictures in their little soldier costume. It doesn't make them a soldier. Doesn't mean they've endured the things that the actual men and women on the front lines have endured. They're just pretending. And Jesus could have done the same thing. He could have been, he could have put on a human suit and come down for a while and walked around and, and sampled some of our food and, and listened to some of our music and, and talked and, and learned what it was like, you know, to go native for a while. He could have done that. And it wouldn't have cost him much. But he didn't. He went much further than that. He actually chose to come into the world the same way you and I do. He came into the world as a baby, which is remarkable when you think about it. Jesus didn't have to do that. You see, before the really remarkable thing to think about is before he was a baby outside the womb, he was a baby inside the womb. Can you imagine God becoming an unborn infant? Just floating in his mother's womb for 40 weeks or however long it took Mary to conceive. And by the way, not just any baby. You know, you, you would think if you were going, if you were God and you were going to become a baby, you would handpick the right mom and dad, somebody who could really provide well for you so that you would be born into luxury, so that you would be taken care of. But he chose a, probably a teenager. Most people in that culture got married that young, unmarried, and with no experience at mothering. He chose someone who was so poor that when they went to take their son, to be dedicated at the temple, they had to bring two doves instead of a lamb or, or a bull. Uh, they, he chose people who could not provide well for him, who could not give him the better, finer things of life. And so just the circumstances of his birth alone, the fact that his first clothes were rags, his first bed was a trough, his first visitors had four legs, think about that. Just the circumstances of his birth, even if you knew nothing else about his life, you would say, okay, God must be really interested in walking in my shoes. He's not pretending. He really cares about me. He has actually been there with us. I think it's remarkable to imagine that Jesus had a real body like you and me, and that means that he got tired. That means he was susceptible to the illnesses you and I are. The Bible doesn't say he ever got a cold or a flu or a stomach bug, but he certainly could have. It, it means that, that he got hungry, he got thirsty, he got weary. Uh, it means he got frustrated at times. He was an ordinary man in many ways. He endured that. He has been there with us. And I think this, the passage that I have in your notes is so... Uh, so profound. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, the reason that term high priest is used, uh, the Jews believed, as so many, that no one can approach God on their own. They need someone to be a mediator for them. So that was the high priest's job. He would go into the Holy of Holies and, and, and take care of our relationship with God for us. But Jesus would be our once and for all high priest. Problem with that is Jesus is God. For him to be a high priest for us, he can't understand what we're going through. Oh, yes, he can. 
Hebrews says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And both halves of that sentence bother different people. For people who are, who are highly religious, it's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus has been tempted in every way, just like we are. Because we know how wicked our hearts are. And we can't imagine God in human flesh wrestling with the kind of temptations we do, but he did, which just proves that being tempted is not sinful. On the other hand, people who aren't particularly devout will say, how could he have been without sin? How could he have been perfect? And yet the scriptures say both are true. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows our pain, yet he continued to be a perfect sacrifice for us. Jesus' virgin birth prepares the way for all of that. He came into the world in in such a way that we knew he was there for us. Secondly, it shows that Jesus can do anything. So back in Isaiah 7, like I said, Ahaz heard this wonderful promise, if you'll just trust in me. And by the way, what kind of how how gracious is that that God comes to a king who's done nothing but reject him and says, I will deliver you. You don't have to do anything but trust me. Don't have to pass a test, don't have to do some great act of obedience. Just trust me in this, and you'll see how good I am. And Ahaz wouldn't even trust God then. Compare that to young Mary in Luke chapter 1. Because you know the story. The angel Gabriel shows up. Don't you wish we had more details? And she was sore afraid. No, that's, that's, that's the shepherds. She was, she was greatly troubled at that greeting. That's what it says. My King James is messing with me. Um, but remember she said, how can, this, how can these things be for I am a virgin? Which wasn't, we know by the reaction of the angel, which wasn't an act of a lack of faith. I think it was her saying, hey, I, I just want to remind you, I've done things the right way. I am a virgin. I have kept myself pure for the Lord. And he says, don't worry about it. Nothing will be impossible with God. And her, her, her amazing words, be it unto me according to your word, O Lord. Okay, if, if, if you say it's, it's going to happen, I believe you. That's all I need to hear. Think about the difference between those two people. And you might say, well, Mary saw an angel. Isaiah, uh, uh, Ahaz only saw a human prophet. I don't think that matters. Because there are plenty of stories of people in Scripture who saw angels and didn't obey. Jesus can do anything. Jesus can do the impossible. So I want to share this story. Uh, Mr. Bunton, Peter Bunton, was a teacher in Australia. And he taught, he, he taught art in a very rough high school. And he happened to be a Christian. Not a lot of Christians in Australia compared to our country, but he was one. And he had a deep burden for his students. He wanted them to know Christ, and yet he knew he couldn't directly verbally witness to them. So he decided, what I'll do is I'll pray for them every day. Every day when I assign them their projects and they're sitting there tinkering and writing and drawing, I'll be praying for them by name. And every year... He would pray for those students all year, and then they'd move on, and next year along would come another crowd of rough and spiritually lost kids coming into his classroom. And years had passed, and Mr. Bunton was in his 70s, and he'd long since retired, and a man came to visit him. And this guy's name was Brian uh, Roanfelt. And he said, do you remember me, Mr. Bunton? He said, yes, I do. He said, well, I'm a pastor today. 
and this is my wife, and and she's she also grew up in your. And well, I remember her too. Well, she's my wife, and and we serve the Lord in such and such a church. He said, "Well, that's remarkable." He said, and he he said, "Let me tell you." He starts naming student after student. He said, "This one." is also a pastor. This one's a missionary. This one is a Christian woman who's married and raising good godly kids. And this one's a doctor and he's serving the Lord in this place. And he just named child after child who had grown up to come to know Christ. And Mr. Bunton had no idea until that very moment. And he just wept and wept to know that God had answered his prayers. Did every kid that he ever taught come to know Christ? Probably not. But his prayers were answered. God can do anything. So it makes you think, the virgin birth should always make us think, what is my impossible? Since all things are possible with God, what is it that I've said, well, I'm not even going to pray about this because it's not worth praying about? Is it a health issue? Is it a, a friend or a loved one who refuses to consider Christ? Is it, is it, uh, is it a, a broken relationship? There are all kinds of problems that we don't bring to God because we just think they're uh, maybe we're not worthy of his love, or, or maybe God doesn't have time for us. You need to understand, God wants us to pray. And sometimes uh, the, the thing we're looking for doesn't fall within his plan, but we cannot receive the gifts of God until we bring them to him, until we bring our problems and place them at his feet. Virgin birth proves that Jesus can do anything. And then finally, the virgin birth proves that Jesus is more than a man. So this is what it says in the notes. Most important question of all hasn't changed in 2,000 years. What is the most important question of all? Who do you say Jesus is? It's what Jesus asked his disciples at, at uh, Caesarea Philippi. It's still the most important question of all because Jesus made such extraordinary claims and he lived such an extraordinary life. Every human being has to reckon with that question. Well, who was he? And there are plenty of people I know and plenty I don't know who would say, I admire Jesus. He was a remarkable man. He lived an amazing life. He taught some incredible things. If we would just follow his teachings, the world would be such a better place. It's so unjust what happened to him, the way they crucified him. And yet, I don't believe he was divine. They'll stop short of that. And the problem with that is the virgin birth is the beginning of the problem with that. I think that's that's one reason why this doctrine is so controversial. Because if you can just say, okay, the virgin birth's a nice little legend that, that gives us this nice little story to tell at Christmas time, but I don't really think it happened that way, then you can write Jesus off as just being one more extraordinary person like Abraham Lincoln or like Martin Luther King or Gandhi or Mother Teresa or you name your person. Really inspiring, really remarkable people, but that's all. But if he was born of a virgin, like no one else has ever been born before, it won't allow you to pigeonhole him that way. If he was born of a virgin, then he is not just a man. Then he is everything he claimed to be. Then you have to really reckon with, should I give this person my life? Should I follow this Savior forever? I love this story. Um, I'll just close with this. It was Christmas Eve years ago at the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. Pastor there was a guy named Thomas Toole. Um, he was coming in into the narthex of the church. Now, we're Baptists. We don't have narthexes. But anyway, it's like the lobby. So he's, he's coming into the narthex of the church, and he sees a man coming out of the sanctuary 
who he recognizes, a guy named Jim. Now, he knows Jim because Jim's not a member of his church, but he's come in and talked to the pastor a couple of times, and he knows that Jim is, a, is struggling with alcoholism. He knows that he's in a recovery program. Uh, he sees him and he says, hey, Jim, happy, uh, Merry Christmas. Where are you going? And, and Jim says, well, can't lie to you, Pastor. I'm going to get a drink. He said, I came here tonight, and I just thought maybe I could celebrate Christmas, but there's all these good-looking families here, and it just made me think about the fact that if I hadn't screwed my life up so much, I'd be here with my family too. And I just can't handle it. I, I just, I've got to go get a drink. And the pastor said, he tried his best to talk him out of it, and Jim would not be talked out. He said, would, would you do me a favor then? Would you just wait 10 minutes? I won't try to stop you after that, but would you wait 10 minutes? He said, yes, I will. So he left him there with an associate pastor. The service started in 10 minutes. So the pastor uh, made his way up to the front of the church, to the pulpit, got up and welcomed everyone to the Christmas Eve service and gave the normal instructions on candle lighting and all that kind of stuff. And then he said, and one last announcement before we begin, if you are a friend of Bill Wilson, would you meet me in the narthex? Now, Bill Wilson was the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so friend of Bill Wilson is sort of a code for are you an Alcoholics Anonymous? Are you, are you an alcoholic? And so he said those words and he got down and he started walking back to the narthex. And as he did, he saw one, two, three, four, several heads pop up and get up from their pew and head out with him. And he got, <laughs> he got to the narthex and there was this whole crowd of people standing around Jim. And, and they, they were praying with him. They were encouraging him. They were saying, hey, just stick around. Come sit with me. Come sit with us. You want to go out for coffee afterwards? And they, they kept him from doing what he wanted to do. They kept him from going the direction he wanted to go. Because, and, and what, what that shows is the church is the body of Christ. We serve someone who knows the pain we suffer who doesn't look at us and say, how can you struggle like that? Just buck up. No, he knows. He knows how hard it is for us. We serve someone who can do anything, who can, who can rescue us from the worst of circumstances. We serve someone who's more than a man, who, who, can, who can save our souls literally and who will never let us go. So, the virgin birth matters because that's who Jesus is. And let's not let go of that. He's more than a man. So, Merry Christmas to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you are who you are. I'm so grateful, O oh Lord, to serve you. And Lord, grateful for this wonderful doctrine that says you were born in a way different than the rest of us, even though, Lord, you lived a life that included so many of the same things that ours did. You suffered so many of the same things we suffered. And yet, while you can identify with us, you aren't just like us because you're more than us. And we're so glad. We needed a Savior and you were the Savior we needed. I pray, O oh Lord, that we would communicate this truth to others, that we would be that kind of body of Christ that comes alongside people who are hurting Help us to see them. Give us eyes to see them, uh, even during this time, maybe especially during this time. And Lord, we pray these things according to your holy will in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.